Saw Lon Chaney walking with the Queen, doing the werewolves of London. I saw Lon Chaney Jr. walking with the Queen, doing the werewolves of London. I saw a werewolf drinking a pina colada at Trader Vic's, and his hair was perfect. Ow! <laughs> it's the Pick Podcast with Sean Lemmy, John Otney, and Colin Westman. And this week we are completing question mark our sort of <laughs> improvised body horror trilogy uh, with a look back at 1981's An American Werewolf in London. Uh, but before we get to that, we have our little mini feature where we talk about our little picks. And I think I go first. Is that the rule? Everyone always says, like, I think, think I go first. Yeah, it's always, it's like, how many episodes do we have to get through before someone knows okay. that if you host, you go first? <laughs> this is my yeah. first time hosting this season. I guess from now on, if you have to ask that question, you'll get yelled at <laughs> and reprimanded. You'll be fined $20 if you ask that question. <laughs> you have to shave your head like like Shaq. Or he, he didn't shave his head. You guys see that video of Shaq? Now you gotta explain it because I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Shaq's on uh, NBA on TNT and he has to not shave his head, so he has to reveal where his hairline actually is. Mm-hmm. He lost a bet. Anyway, my little pick is um, well, it's related to Leap Day, which. Uh, was last weekend and everyone knows on leap day you're supposed to take a leap and for me that was going out with my dad and my mom and my brother and my dad's friends all day um, for a journey around the city uh, an exploration of the history of Seattle Um, and uh, we did the underground tour we did a, a beer one of those beer bikes where we're all pedaling together uh, not actually drinking beer on the bike because that's illegal, but like going from bar to bar. Um, but the first thing we did was go to the uh, Yukon Gold Rush Museum in the city, um, which tied perfectly into uh, my little pick this week. Uh, another wolf-related piece of media, The Call of the Wild, the 2010, mm. the 2020 version of uh, of this uh, Jack London book. Um it's, uh, I mean, if you've seen the trailer, you know the big thing about this movie is CG animals. Um, they're here, they're in it in a big way. Uh, I did not see The Lion King last year, but my off-the-cuff reaction is that I think they're probably better animated in this than they were in The Lion King. But they don't look lifelike, and you're, con- you're just aware the entire movie that these dogs are not real dogs. Um, so, yeah. So it's, I don't know. I think it's a tough call. I think it's a better, probably, animal performance. And he doesn't talk or anything. Um, the movie's just narrated by Harrison Ford. Um, but it, 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 never, it never fools you into thinking it's a real dog. Not once. And maybe that's not the point. Um, I, I would like to tell you about the guy who plays Buck, the, the main character, uh, the dog. Uh, is Terry uh, Notary. We might have talked about him 
uh, on this podcast before because uh, he's been in the like motion capture game for a long time. He's he's the guy who played Kong in Skull Island, or maybe one of the guys who played Kong in Skull Island. Mm-hmm. Um, he did motion capture for both the 2001 Planet of the Apes and the recent Planet of the Apes series. So he's he's gotten to do the whole process from uh you know being a man in a costume all the way to being a green screen performance capture guy uh i think he's also the person who played the silver surfer body in fantastic four rise of the silver surfer um and you might actually recognize what this guy looks like because he's in the poster and all over the trailer for the movie the square Remember that a couple of years ago from the from the Force Majeure guy, his his follow up movie to that, where, about like the high end art community with Dominic West and Elizabeth uh, Moss. Yeah, barely. <laughs> uh, he plays like a like a performance artist in that who's like doing like acting like a gorilla or a chimp mm. or something. So it's definitely in his wheelhouse. Um. Seems like an interesting guy, and he's surprised. I mean, he got a good performance out of Harrison Ford. Although I don't, I don't feel like Harrison Ford's been phoning it in for a while now. I think he's been back into actually trying in movies he's been in recently. I mean, he was really great in Blade Runner a few years ago, and I, I liked him in Star Wars too. Um, and and here he plays this another like sad, broken old man who's <laughs> trying to find meaning in life. Uh, he gets naked in it. So that's cool. Because uh, he's got to play Indiana Jones, he's got to prove he's still got the body. Um, <laughs> I think I think the movie sanitized the Call of the Wild story a little bit compared to the book. I think there's less beatings and animal violence in general, um, and and in its place there's like more over the top heroics. Like there's a scene where he guides the sled through like a cave as an avalanche uh, avalanche is happening. Um, it's fine. I mean, it's a kid's story, so who gives a shit? It's just about love and nature and heeding the call of the wild. So that that part of it's still there. Um, and the one thing I, I noticed is this is another movie where, like, a, an animal has, like, a spirit wolf that, it, like, looks to as an example. Like, like, you know, in Fantastic Mr. Fox. And I feel like this is kind of like a trope of, like... If you're if you're an animal, like getting in touch with their wild side, there's like a spirit wolf that's like guiding you. And I'm just wondering what the equivalent would be if this was like a human. Like, would you see like a big scared caveman <laughs> looming in the distance? Cavemen are scary. Cavemen are scary. But they also just want to help you save money on your car insurance. <laughs> yeah. So they have they have their pluses in there. Their downsides. I just don't want to be judged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's my little pick. I was really hoping that your pick was going to be hanging out with your dad. Yeah. <laughs> just... I th- or I thought it was going to be the Seattle Yukon Museum, <laughs> which I think I went to when I was like 10. Okay. You guys want to hear about some straight garbage? Uh, I watched that. Lo- uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm going there. I watched that uh, the first two episodes of that Love is Blind show. You guys know about this show? Um, yeah, Nina's been forcing me to watch it. <laughs> but isn't it great, though, like in the way that you want a, real- a bad reality TV show to be? Uh, sort of. 
it's like it's like kind of it's kind of sweet but in like a deeply unsettling way <laughs> because like why are these oh i don't think it's sweet at all i think it's disturbing as hell all right sean so love is blind is a it's a reality uh, dating show on netflix right now and the basic premise another one yeah another one but it's very popular did you guys watch the circle uh, I have heard people bring up the circle in conversations about this show, but I did not watch the circle. Mm, that's are they just gonna have a reality dating show every month? I guess they they spent like a hundred and fifty two billion dollars on content, you know. They uh, <laughs> they don't give a shit. So this show is basically a house that's split into one half half of the house is men, one half is women, and uh, they all want to get married. <laughs> And then they go into these pods, and they kind of do, like, speed dating, but they never see the other person. They only hear their voice, and they get to meet the people like that. And then you have to decide in a certain amount of time whether or not you're going to propose to this person and then become engaged. And then you finally get to see them, and then it'll keep going on to the next phase where you, like, go on, like, a, like a vacation with them, and, you know, you meet their family and stuff. Uh, so, I mean, anyone who agrees to be on the show and agrees to this premise is fucking insane, because that is insane. <laughs> to, to uh, Okay, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Two questions. Okay. You said they have to get engaged, not they have to get married, right? True, yes. That's what I said. Okay, and second, second question, isn't this just like the dating game? Like yeah, you meet eligible <laughs> bachelors, but and just by their voice in your conversation, you have to pick one. But I mean, that is you just go on a date. This is you are now engaged. Yep. <laughs> the stakes much are so much higher. Dating game. So so the show is is more about the the after part. Yeah, and I think it's also just trying to uh, make a connection with someone that you don't think you normally would because you'd be caught up in their looks. But uh, first big problem with the show, I mean, second big problem aside from the premise, everyone, or at least most of the people, are pretty hot, so that, that doesn't even matter. Like, you know you're going to get somebody hot because everyone around you is pretty hot. Like, all the dudes are pretty hot. So you can imagine all the women are also going to be pretty hot. And not just that, but, like, these people, I don't, I don't know, I think they're so vapid and boring and just the worst people. And I think that the thing is, like, that's fun to watch, but at the same time, it's like, I hate everyone on this show. Like, sometimes, like, I'll just hear dialogue, and I just have to, like, write it down. Like, that was so, like, dialogue. I mean, obviously, this is how these people are really talking, but it's so fucking stupid. Like, here's an exchange between this one girl and this one guy. The girl says, I guess I'm sliding into your DMs. And the guy goes, huh, I like that. You have a really cute sense of humor. And she goes, I'm silly. <laughs> another one, another one, a guy's like, uh, what's the weirdest thing about you? And the girl says... Uh, you know what's weird? I really like sports. Oh my god, what a weirdo. <laughs> you really like sports? Ugh. It is really weird because she doesn't she doesn't like a specific sport. She very generically just likes the concept of sport. Girls liking sports? But that's for guys. Guys like sports and push-up contests. I mean, we had a push-up contest before we started this call. That's <laughs> true. That's just what you do. You know, you just do push-up contests, and then you talk about where you're going to get your child's name tattooed on your body. Your future child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we all know each other's answers. Colin is the bottom of his foot. And mine? Where's yeah. mine? <laughs> I thought we were all going to go around. And, you know, I thought, well, it John's... seemed like you were going to do it. 
Yeah, it seemed like you had it all figured out. You knew mine. Collins is the bottom of his foot. Yep. John, John is, is tramp stamp territory. <laughs> his child. And, yep. and, and me, I'm, I'm right across the forehead. <laughs> I'm not going to hide it. Yeah. I'm proud. That's just what guys do. Mm-hmm. So, are you recommending this show to me to watch? Because you guys are both watching it. Uh. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it's funny. It's how many? How much have you watched, Colin? Oh, probably like three episodes, maybe four. More than yeah, me. Yeah, it's weird because it is only like the first two episodes where they're not seeing each other face to face. And yeah, like you, there is the reveals in the episodes where they see each other for the first time, but of course, no one's like, "Ugh, this person's ugly," because yeah, they're all pretty attractive. Which what about is like kind... a race thing. What? That is a, a key thing in one of the relationships: is that a, a woman is black and the guy is white, and she's like, "I've never been with a white guy." Before. Yeah. Uh. Which is, yeah, like by far the most interesting of the relationships. Uh, But a lot of them are just like, yeah, the most, I don't know, boring, weird, attractive white people just falling in love. Yeah, I I mean, I get it. It sounds like the show was an opportunity to explore, you know, things like, uh, you know, you see a lot of insecurity online about short men or overweight women. Uh, or balding men that they have trouble finding success in a, in the dating world, and they could have explored that. But come on, this is trashy reality TV. They're not gonna they're not gonna do anything serious. I mean, it sounds like they weren't expecting so many people to fall in love. Like I think there were like two other couples that actually got together, and they didn't even feature them on the show because like too many people just <laughs> embraced this concept. Mm. That sounds like too many people just want to be on TV. That is certainly an I want I, I want the long con. I want a follow-up series with these people in like 3 years to see how that marriage is going. Mm-hmm. It could happen. I want a 7-up series that starts with a reality show. <laughs> They can call it Life is Blind. <laughs> a little insensitive to blind people. Yeah. <laughs> Colin, what's your little pick? Um, so I'm not going to have too much to talk about with my pick. Uh, so my friend got me a present for my birthday. Uh, and it's a line of toys that I was not aware of existing. It's called oh. Celebridux, which is a line... Of rubber duckies that look like celebrities. And nice. my friend got me a rubber ducky that looks like Gene Simmons. <laughs> of course. <laughs> In kiss makeup. Um, and, they, you know, they got a bunch. And, like, all of the ducks they have on their website have, like, you know, duck bird puns. They got, uh, they got Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator, except it's the Duckinator. And it says, I'll be quack on his shirt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
It's got a uh, Harry Ponder, <laughs> the wizard rubber duck. Uh, oh, Goose, Goosebusters looks like uh, Bill Murray and Ghostbusters. Uh, the Godfather, <laughs> parody of the Godfather. Oh, these are all good. Um, let's go to the music section. I believe there was a, a Mick Jagger looking one. What was that called? Mick Quacker, come on. Um, why can't I find the Mick Jagger? Bohemian Quacksity. Oh, yeah. That was definitely one. Ziggy Starduck. Just nice. just tons of fun little duck puns. They have Spock, and it's Mr. Squawk. Hell, yeah. That's good. So is this a collector's item, or is this for tub time? I mean, I'm treating it as a collector's item so far. I've just, I've kept it in the, the packaging, and it's just sitting on my desk. But maybe I'll, maybe I'll whip it out for tug, tub time. <laughs> what are these days? Don't call it tug time. That's a very different thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. But you're saying Wait, you're all in. You're collecting these now. Am I collecting? I don't know. I ju- I just like that these exist because they're pretty fun. I always love any animal pun themed things. <laughs> I guess that's why I loved BoJack Horseman. Uh, so yeah, celebrities. Who knew? Who knew? Anyways, should we talk about our animal themed movie? Let us do exactly that right now. But first, I'd like to talk about the history of werewolves. Because I didn't know much about werewolves. Um, It sounds like there have been uh, sort of lycanthrope myths for a very long time. Or, or, I don't know if... I think lycanthrope is specifically werewolf, but like uh, the idea of uh, unwilling shape-shifting. Uh, it transcends a lot of cultures. It's it's been around for a long time, but specifically, uh, werewolf myths started appearing in the late Middle Ages, early modern period, um, and shortly after that, began werewolf trials. And did you guys know that alongside witch trials, there were werewolf trials? Oh wow, that sounds like fun. I What's a werewolf trial, though? Okay. werewolf trial. <laughs> let me let let me tell you about the trial of Peter Stump, the werewolf of Bedburg, which is in Germany. So Peter Stump is a wealthy farmer in a rural German community. Um, he's uh, getting to be a little older. I think he's in his sixties. Um, his wife has died. He lives with his two children, a son and a daughter. And he is accused of werewolfery, witchcraft, and cannibalism. Uh, and so and what witchcraft. The, yeah. So uh, what what the townsfolk do is they uh, they tie him to the rack and get ready to start torturing him, and he starts admitting to his crimes. And first and foremost, he admits that he's been practicing black magic since he was twelve. And that 20 years ago, the devil gave him a magic belt that when he wears it, turns him into a wolf with an insatiable bloodlust. 
Let's let that sink in. It's a magic belt from Satan. Sounds like a DC Comics character. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. Uh, he went on to uh, say that uh, as a wolf, he gorged on goats, lamb, sheep, and people. Uh, he confessed to killing and eating 14 children, uh, including his own son. Uh, and he also uh, admitted to having killed and eaten two pregnant women uh, during which he ripped out their fetuses and ate them, you know, quote unquote, alive. Uh, he Thanks. was also accused of having an incestuous relationship with his daughter, uh, which got her killed, and uh, another one of his distant relatives. Uh, and finally, he admitted to having had intercourse with a succubus that Satan had sent to him. <laughs> so Satan really hooked him up and gave him the belt and a succubus. Um for these crimes he was executed on october 31st 1589 i just think that's a weird coincidence that it was on halloween <laughs> cool cool uh, he was put on a wheel had uh, flesh torn from his body with red hot pincers uh had his uh limbs broken with the blunt side of an axe to prevent him from returning from the grave uh was beheaded and then uh was burned on a pyre and uh, his daughter also was flayed, strangled, and, and burned on the same pyre. Uh, and and after, uh, after this execution, local authorities erected a pole with the torture wheel and the figure of a wolf. And at the very tippy top of it was Stump's severed head. Um, so that is, uh, I think, the most famous example of a werewolf trial that I could find. But uh, this... Continued on, uh, sort of, not nearly as popular as uh, witchcraft trials, but but as a thing for a few hundred years um, until uh, I guess we entered a more sensible age. But who knows? Um, and as far as like where these myths come from, there's sort of medical explanation for why people would be uh, acting like this. I mean, my my brain immediately jumps to rabies. Because uh, you know, if the the idea of like you you get bit and transform seems to line up really well with uh, with rabies, um, but as far as I can tell, that's actually a recent addition to the werewolf mythology, along with um, the weakness to silver, which is something that came from Dracula, uh, also like a, a very recent addition to to werewolf mythology. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what the uh, the medical explanation could be for for why they would think anyone's acting like a werewolf. Of course, it could be totally groundless. I mean, that's, that was the case with witchcraft, right? But yeah, I couldn't track down a good um, like original literary source uh, for werewolves in pop culture. So I think it's it's really uh, movies where um, they they rose to, to prominence. Um, and I'm, I'm going to turn it over to John if he could weigh in a little bit on the sort of the history of werewolf movies, maybe. I think that's true. Um, I, I, I guess it's hard to say which movie in particular is the one that started a lot of the trends and which ones are kind of borrowed from bits and pieces of mythology. But the first werewolf movie I can think of that I've seen is Werewolf of London, 1935. Actually is a Universal Monsters movie, but like... I guess they just got rid of it out of the canon. I mean, it's even got the same makeup artist as the Wolfman, Jack Pierce. 
Hmm. Though if you look back to pictures of the werewolf in London, he looks kind of shitty. Like in my memory, let me pull up a picture to myself to, to remind myself. I feel like he's just a dude with big sideburns. Let's see, werewolf. Hmm. Yeah, let's. Um, I, I I read about this. Not movie. super impressive. A little bit, and yeah, the lead actor was not interested in spending hours every day in the makeup chair. So they're like, well, we'll just make him look more like a human then, I guess. That was their solution. He looks really stupid. He looks like Tom Waits, but like normal Tom Waits <laughs> with a little extra hair. And, you know, that certainly had all, like, the full moon, legend, silver, all that stuff. Um, and then I guess... I, I don't know how that connects to them doing the Wolfman again, like giving another go. I think there is some literary werewolf novel. I'm not sure if um, any of these movies borrowed from it, and I, I can't remember the title off the top of my head, but because uh, I'm going off book here, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I I don't know either. Well, a lot of what I saw uh, was was referring back to Dracula. They were saying, well, he could shape shift into a wolf at night. Yeah, that's and right. and he was vulnerable to silver, so it seems like. That's maybe a source of a lot of the mythology. I think, yeah, I think that's true. And then who turned Lon Chaney into the Wolfman in the Wolfman? Dracula himself, Bela <laughs> Lugosi. Not actually Dracula. Dracula didn't turn into a wolf, and then, oh, wouldn't that be wild? Now that's a connected universe. Um, but yeah, I think, like, if, if you're looking at, like, where John Landis probably got his ideas from, I'm sure it's the Wolfman. It's literally referenced in American Werewolf in London. The mm-hmm. scene where uh, Claude Rains has to kill his own son. Uh, we just watched The Invisible Man, too. Wow, look at all these connections. This is crazy. And John Landis would go on to... Never mind. <laughs> I was just going to say going John Landis. Yeah, I was what, just gonna what say were you going to do, Colin? I was just going to say he would go on to almost direct The Nutty Professor. But he didn't. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> With Dan uh, he also did uh, Vampire in Brooklyn, and that's kind of like Dracula. Yeah, that's kind of yeah, yeah. it's all connected. Yep, everything rhymes. Uh, but yeah, aside from that, like Hammer did a like a handful of uh, crappy British fam- uh, werewolf movies. Oh, I, it's, I can't even think of any even this in the sixties or seventies. I know there's a movie from the seventies called like uh, Washington Werewolf about like a werewolf that goes to Washington D.C. It's got a really <laughs> funny poster uh, i'm gonna look that up for my own amusement real quick werewolf <laughs> of washington 1973 um if you're uh you're not driving a car you know if you're at home i definitely you know suggest to look up the poster for werewolf of washington starring right. dean stockwell <laughs> it's pretty great i want this in my room it's uh basically it's like a white werewolf uh wearing an uncle sam hat and the tagline yes. is Werewolf Washington makes it perfectly clear. So yeah, it's pretty much just that until you get into <gasps> and Michael Dunn as Doctor Kiss. Doctor Kiss. I think I've found a future pick here. Oh yeah, it's right on the poster. <laughs> it's in a square. It's in a box. Michael Dunn as Doctor Kiss. But yeah, then it just goes to that pivotal year of 1981 where. Three prominent werewolf movies all came out in the same year. The Howling and um, an American Werewolf even have like some connections in that Joe Dante, who directed The Howling, wanted Rick Baker to do his makeup, but Rick Baker's like, "I'm doing this other werewolf movie." So here, <laughs> here's my my protege, uh, Rob Bottin. He'll he can do your makeup. 
And then off there in the corner is the 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 booberry of the group, Wolfen. But which is like a, I I watched uh, watched it recently, and it is like an okay movie. It's more of like a a detective who done it werewolf in the city movie where Albert Finney is like a super sloppy detective who's eating in every scene and you can't quite <laughs> tell if he's American, but it's a kind of interesting movie. It's got a really eclectic class uh, cast. It's got Tom Noonan and um, Edward James Olmos and it was directed by Michael Wadley of Woodstock fame, his only mm. uh, narrative feature he ever made. So I guess it really spoke to him. Interesting. And all the werewolves see in uh, like predator vision, <laughs> which is actually kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, it's crazy. I don't know how it happened that all these movies uh, came out in 1981, all these werewolf movies. But uh, Werewolf in London, that is the best. And it sounded like it was a project that uh, John Landis had wanted to do for a very long time. I'm sure you read a little yeah. bit about that, Sean. I'll get into that, uh, but just before we close out the werewolf media section, have you seen the movie Ginger Snaps from 2000, 2001? Oh, yeah. Is that good? It's it's okay. It's kind of like trashy, but in like a good way, in like a fun way. Yeah, just looking for good werewolf movies. This one came up. It sounds kind of Good werewolf movies. A good werewolf movie that I like that not a lot of people have seen is there's a movie from 2014 or 15 called Late Phases. Also has Tom Noonan in a supporting role. <laughs> uh, but it's about a blind man in a retirement uh, community, and his dog gets killed, and then he's like, I'm going to use the next month to train and kill this werewolf. I think it's someone in this community. And it's a pretty good little like low-budget uh, werewolf movie. So I would definitely recommend Late Phases if you're looking for more werewolf movies. And obviously, if you want to see vampires versus werewolves, there's both the Underworld series and the Twilight series. So, <laughs> what about Blood and Chocolate? Is that vampires versus oh, werewolves? Oh yeah, you guys remember that movie trailer? I remember that really? movie trailer. Typing it in, Blood and Chocolate, <laughs> 2007 horror film directed by Katya von Garnier. It looks like a vampire on the poster. Control F. Yes, Vivian is a 19-year-old werewolf born in Bucharest, Romania, who later emigrates to America. So, one of the main characters, she's a vampire. You're a werewolf. <laughs> I, I'm just control Fing for vampire right now to see if that's. I enough. just remember when we saw that trailer a long time ago as teens, and like, it's just some generic-looking horror movie, and then the title came up. Big laugh from the audience because the movie's <laughs> called Blood and Chocolate. That's a terrible title. Who wants to see that? I don't know, man. It looks like it's about werewolves. So I don't. I I've searched the whole thing for vampires. I don't see any vampires. Cool stuff. So yeah, like John was saying, uh, John Landis was inspired to um, to write uh, American Werewolf in London all the way back on his very first uh, gig in the film industry, which is. Uh, he was an assistant director on the movie Kelly's Heroes. Uh, you guys remember that one? <laughs> remember <laughs> it. <laughs> I've seen Kelly's Heroes. We're gonna be alive it's a dad movie. Twenty years. Yeah. Okay. It's just a super dad movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he was filming that or assistant directing in uh, in Yugoslavia, and he saw. Um, some uh, gypsies performing uh, funeral rites, uh, 
ostensibly to prevent the dead from returning to the to the land of the living um and he became fascinated with that concept and i guess he developed that experience um into this script but he uh he couldn't get financing for it as his first directing project so instead he got the much more bankable movie schlock made which is (laughs) the story of a prehistoric ape man uh that he played himself uh who falls in love with a blind woman um and of course, this was also the first collaboration between uh, Landis and Rick Baker, uh, who designed the schlock costume. Uh, is this something you've seen, John? Have you seen this movie? I actually, I actually haven't, uh, and I don't know if I want to. I don't. It's more of to be a completionist than actual interest in seeing it. Yeah, I think that title really sums up that movie. It sounds rough, uh, but that that it's game... no werewolf of Washington. Yeah. Um, that gave him uh, enough clout to direct uh, Kentucky Fried Movie, um, which made him a comedy director. Um, and so he got to direct uh, Animal House and the Blues Brothers, um, which, which was uh, enough to, to get him the money and, and financing uh, available to, to make uh, American Werewolf in London. Um. I think if you if you look at that progression, you see that he's getting more comfortable doing dangerous and chaotic stunts uh, as those movies go on. Uh, Blues Brothers, obviously, like I still feel like no movie has crashed as many cars as they do <laughs> in the end of the Blues Brothers. It's crazy. I mean, yeah, like the like the Fate of the Furious had a lot of cars, but I feel like a lot of the the like. The robot-controlled cars were CG or something. It yeah. didn't feel as real uh, as most uh, Fast and Furious stunts do. They just crashed so many cop cars in Blues Brothers. Um, and, and the ending of American Werewolf in London also has a ton of cars <laughs> crashing. Um, and unfortunately, I think that did make him a little arrogant. Um, and his, his next project after this was the Twilight Zone movie, um, where a helicopter stunt went bad and uh, resulted in the death of uh, actor Vic Morrow, who's Jennifer Jason Lee's dad, and um, and two child actors. Uh, I didn't know this until reading up about this earlier today, that everyone in the helicopter lived. It's, it's just the actors who died. That's kind of a weird miracle. Um, and... Uh, in the trial, uh, you know, the, it came out that the, the child actors should not have been there because they were shooting at night, and that's after hours. You're not legally allowed to have child actors that late. Um, and uh, it, it, a lot of the crew blamed Landis. They said that, you know, he's he's the one, he's the director, he was in charge of everything, and that he was warned that things were dangerous. Um, he himself disagrees with that and says that... Uh, that it was uh, the, the person setting up the, the explosions that had done something wrong and that the, also that there was something wrong with the helicopter. Um, so he, he admits that he was wrong in having the child actors there, but not that the accident's his fault. Um, and this really hurts John Landis's reputation in Hollywood. Uh, famously, Steven Spielberg just cuts him off uh, not just professionally, but personally too. He just ends his relationship with him. 
Um, and it, it makes a lot of people look at the film industry and the cost of, of making these movies. And, and rightfully, most people say, hey, a movie is not worth a human life. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the situation still hasn't completely changed. I mean, we, we still hear to this day stories about uh, stunt people being horribly injured and, and occasionally killed um, performing for movies, which uh, is gross to think about. Um, and uh, and knowing that, uh, that this movie helped create the, uh, the Academy Award for um, Best Makeup, I, I think it's really time that the Academy start awarding stunt performers um, for the amazing work that they do and the risks that they take that are just on a whole other level than basically anyone else involved in movie projects. Uh, anyway, uh, John Landis continued to direct after uh, the accident, but uh, I don't, nothing was ever a, as big a hit, I think, uh, as his first few movies although there's plenty of stuff he directed that i'm sure people have heard of um trading places came out not long after the accident um he made movies like spies like us three amigos coming to america and coming to america is a huge hit but the thing is like eddie murphy like hired him because they were friends but like it wasn't like like he the way he says like tells it like no one wanted to hire john landis at at that point and that in retrospect, it was a disappointing experience because John Landis was still asshole on the set of that movie. Yeah, I think he said that John Landis was upset that Eddie Murphy didn't like come to his trial or something, and so he was bitter about that. Mm-hmm. And so they like got into like an actual physical fight at one point. It's weird though because they would work together after that movie because John Landis directed Beverly Hills Cop three. But <laughs> and Vampire in Brooklyn. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> I feel like we're not getting all of the truth in Eddie, Mur- even in Eddie Murphy's version. I'm sure John Landis was a dick, but I don't know. Eddie Murphy seems like he's kind of a dick too, so it's probably like yeah. two alphas going head to head for sure. I think a more positive side of the background of this movie is uh, the ascent of Rick Baker, though. Um, like I mentioned, he won the first ever Academy Award for Best Makeup for this movie. Um, and he went on to be nominated a total of 11 times, which is a record. And they also won seven times total, which is also a record for that particular award. Um, I want to ask you guys, uh, what is it about Rick Baker makeup and animatronics and effects that are so good that, that he's such an icon in the industry? I feel like John would be better equipped to answer that because I, I I can't like recall all the ones he's done specifically, but I think I think it's just about attempting things and and pushing boundaries before anyone else has even attempted anything. Like it's ambition. Like just think of the iconic uh, transformation scene in American Wealth in London. It's shot in like broad light. Like there's not a single shadow to be seen. Like no one would have attempted anything like that. Um, at that point in time, even his protege, Rob Bottin, who did World Transformations in the Howling, there's a lot of shadow and stuff covering up those uh, tra- transformations. And then it's just trying out like new technology. Like there's, I can't remember because uh, I didn't I didn't read up on it before the podcast. But in American World from London, I feel like there's some sort of little 
electronic doodad or something in the prosthetics that would like automatically extend stuff that him and his team worked on. It's not like anyone had ever tried anything like that. And then you just you look ahead to other Rick Baker movies. A lot of it is just he's just really solid. Like he won um, an Academy Award for Ed Wood. It's not like that mm. you know was doing something that no one else had done. It's just super super competent work. And uh, I mean Nutty Professor. That's definitely one where it's like. I don't think anyone was attempting fat suits in that way. So, <laughs> and I think you know he got a lot of his uh, inspiration and background from like people like Jack Pierce, who worked on the old Universal monster movies. And Jack Pierce is kind of like an unsung hero in the in the makeup world. I mean, to horror fans, everyone knows Jack Pierce, but I'm not sure if you're a common person moviegoer knows Jack Pierce. So I think he learned a lot from him, and then just took it a step forward. And continued to do so. I mean, look at Men in Black. Look at all the shit going on in that movie. Yeah. Like, it's pretty wacky stuff. Are we gonna watch all of Rick Baker's uh, <laughs> Oscar wins for this podcast? How many does he have? Seven. Yeah, seven. It's <laughs> quite. And that few. would mean we would have to watch The Grinch. Grinch. Ron Howard Grinch. By the way, uh, uh, another movie with. Uh... Uh, Terry Notary doing the, uh, the oh. motion. You know, I just realized too. Rick Baker also won an Oscar for The Wolfman, so he's got two werewolf-based makeup Oscars. Wow! And you know what? He also played King Kong, just like Terry Notary. Wow, that's yeah, that's right. Yeah, in the in the late seventies King Kong movie, right? Yeah, the Jeff Bridges one. Yeah, mm-hmm. I haven't seen that in a really long time. But yeah, he's great, and I think what's really important, I won't go off uh, too long on this, but what's really important about a movie like American Wealth in London is I feel like it really sets the tone for what makes 80s horror movies so special because I feel like the 80s is, at least for me and I think a lot of people, is probably the best decade for horror, and the reason that for that being is that's when... Like guys totally went nuts with makeup and prosthetics and effects and just really pushed that to a new realm with movies like A Nightmare on Elm Street and and stuff like that where they just like that was the decade before CGI where people were just going nuts and going crazy with cool effects and I feel like Rick Baker was at the was the real tra- trailblazer of that kind of movement and so I think this movie <laughs> seeing that's at the beginning of the decade yeah sets the tone for the eighties. It says here his first job in the in the actual industry was working with uh, Dick Smith on The Exorcist. So just like Damn, right off the man. bat, big like prosthetic makeup, huge gross effects. <laughs> like that's just been his thing his whole career. Dick Smith also good. Didn't Dick Smith do The Godfather or something? There's like six makeup guys who've done every movie in existence. <laughs> I swear it's like it's it's the same guys. And it seems like the only way you can get in is being someone's apprentice. <laughs> it's like being a Jedi. Speaking of Jedi, he worked on Star Wars. Uh, and he also worked yeah, he on Gremlins 2, obviously. Everyone knows that. Everybody loves his work on Gremlins 2. Um, Specifically the, Gremlins 2. The hot one? <laughs> what? No, just keep going. Uh, also, I, one of the last movies he did was, was Tron Legacy. Another The Pick pick. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, and he's uh, he's still alive. He's retired, though, because he said that he felt like the industry has already moved away from his animatronics and was starting to move away from 
the type of makeup stuff he was doing. So he thought, well, I'm old and <laughs> the industry's gone too fast. Uh, so he retired. It was kind of sad, but it was also kind of noble to just step aside when you're still on top. Uh, before we get into the plot of the movie, I, I didn't, I couldn't find out a lot of interesting things about the cast. I can tell you David Naughton, the star of the film, was the, the guy from those I'm a Pepper, Dr. Pepper ads before, before he did this movie, and then he lost that because of this movie. Really? Yeah. Wow, this was like too intense for the Dr. Pepper fans. <laughs> yeah, well, he's naked in it a lot true um jenny agater the uh nurse alex uh is someone i recognize because she's in the avengers and capture america the winter soldier as one of the like world security council people there's a there's a there's a there's a scene where she rips her face off and it's secretly been scarlett johansson the entire time i recognize her from logan's run oh yeah you've seen logan's run yeah it's like her and Michael York running around this weird future world trying not to get killed. Sweet. Yeah. It's, it's kind of fun. Uh, Griffin Dunn plays Jack the Friend um, who, who gets murdered early in the movie. I, I, I super recognize his name, but looking through his credits, it looked like After Hours, the Scorsese movie, is probably his biggest claim to fame. What, what do you? Oh, what yeah. should I know Griffin Dunn for? I mean, that's really the only thing he ever starred in. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which is a great movie. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, he's mostly just been like a bit part guy <laughs> over the years. Which is kind of disappointing. I like him. Yeah. I don't know if he's really directed anything great. Did Practical Magic and uh, Accidental Husband. Oh no, he did a Movie 43 segment. (laughs) Apparently he's also in The French Dispatch. That's cool. Yeah, good for him. Uh, and, And yeah, speaking of character actors i think that's that's the whole rest of this cast i besides besides one very glaring uh addition to the cast did you did you remember this was going to be in the movie colin what you don't know who i'm building up to <laughs> frank oz i feel like you're building frank up. oz yeah it's <laughs> sure. so weird frank mr. oz mr kessler frank mr oz. kessler not only plays a character in this, but also gets credited for Mrs. Piggy. Yeah. Uh, Sean, Miss Piggy is credited as herself, I believe, at the end credits. <laughs> That's true. Let's give credit where credit's due. I don't, yeah, but, like, why the fuck is Frank Oz in this movie? He doesn't even do anything funny. He's Mr. Kessler. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty weird. Just weird, It's man. so weird. I kept trying to like figure out like what's John Landis' connection to the Muppet Show. He's got Frank Oz in this and a Muppet Show, like a scene where kids are watching the Muppet Show. Like what what's up with that? And all the Disney stuff in this movie too. Like I, I guess it. you, it, it's weird because I guess in today's landscape, like yeah, you, you'd have a lot of questions. But back then, I guess it probably didn't really matter if you just threw all that shit in your movie. 
The only I've been thinking about this a lot, and the only explanation I can come up with for why uh, in the nightmare scene he's watching the Muppets, and in Alex's apartment there's a bunch of Disney stuff, is that maybe it's trying to be some sort of commentary on like the violence in the media, like because the movie itself is is over the top and violent, and then like on TV you see these childish things, but it. I, I I don't know what the message is. <laughs> if it's a comment, I don't know what the comment is. Um, that actually ties into something I read uh, in Roger Ebert's review of this movie. Um, he talks about how the movie feels incomplete to him, and I I I can't put my finger on exactly why, but that I sort of get that feeling too. Does it? Do, do you feel like the American Werewolf One has a sort of unfinished vibe i i could imagine like it i'd be surprised if there was that many drafts written of it i wouldn't be surprised (laughs) if this is like a first draft i think there's a lot of great ideas but yeah i i mean even though this is a movie i love i i definitely think there's some unrealized thoughts in here and like it could probably use some fine tuning here and there i mean that's part of what i like about it is that it's kind of a weird movie in terms of just like pacing and why, like why is this scene in here? Why is that scene not in here? Mm-hmm. Like I think that's kind of what makes it special. But I think yeah, maybe you could have made it even tighter, maybe even better. So I I agree with that. Yeah, there's something. It, there's just a few moments that feel like they go on too long, and and definitely the the ending is very is very sudden. Um, it's it's. I don't know. It's it's one of those things where I, I would have a hard time coming up with specific like critiques of where to change things and where to add things. But well, like I don't know what the point of the 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 montage of being bored scene is all about, where he's walking around to Bad Moon Rising. It's fun, but I, I'm I'm not sure what we're really progressing forward here in the story. I think maybe it's because um, you know there's a lot of talk about being in limbo here. And I think they're showing that that he's in his own limbo, having survived a thing that should have killed him, and also being fully aware that today's the day he should kill himself. I like that. I like that. Never mind. Convinced me. <laughs> that scene needs to be in there, and it needs to have bad when rising because that's a fucking jam. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess there's not a ton of plot to talk through, but we can go through it anyway just to see if something comes up. So the movie opens with David and Jack, uh, who are two Americans who are going backpacking through Europe. And they're currently in the the very chilly, bleak, northern English moors. Um, And uh, one night they, they stumble into the Slaughtered Lamb Pub. I love this place. It's great. It was give, It's got a it great. Me, yeah, go ahead. I was just saying it's giving me big uh, Invisible Man vibes. Yeah. Sure, like, sure. Right at the start of the movie, he goes into this pub and everyone's like, "What's all this?" <laughs> Super British man, and I love these guys. They're like, they're weird and grumpy and everything, but just like, they're fun. This is like, this is like British Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> And they all have one terrible dark secret and a pentagram on the wall. And they don't have any food, which is kind of fucked up. I'm just mm. saying. I'm just putting it out there. 
Just got spirits and beer. And a five-pointed star on the wall. Yeah. And so that's like the first time that uh, the movie starts hinting at these characters' uh, discomfort in their uh, their otherness. Um, although, obviously, it's like right there in the title of the movie, right? It's an American werewolf in London. So already the idea is you're, you're not... In, in your natural environment you're you're a fish out of water and then on top of that you're a werewolf so that, that's got to be more, like what's the what, what could be a worse than being a werewolf is being a werewolf in a foreign country right am i right colin you're right you're always right you don't get no respect yeah just i don't know the way you started that it sounded like it could have been a rodney dangerfield bit <laughs> <laughs> He would have been great in this movie. Um, yeah. Why wasn't he in this? Who would you have cast him as? David. As David, the star of the movie? Yeah. I mean, Rodney Dangerfield only stars in movies. <laughs> Did he ever do, like, supporting characters? I guess Caddyshack, <laughs> sort of. Yeah. But it's all about him. All right. Well, that's a... How old was he in 1981? He's playing an 18-year-old in this, right? I mean, he doesn't have to be playing an 18-year-old. I mean, David Naughton was like 30. Just make it that he's in the middle of a back-to-school situation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm taking a leap here, huh? Yeah. (laughs) This sounds so good. Um, so anyway, they're they're vibing super badly with the the pub goers. Um, so David and Jack decide to head out. Um, and as they get ready to go, the the bartender's like, "We can't send them out." And they're like, "They gotta go." But you guys should stay on the road. But we're the full moon, and don't go into the moors. And um, and as we see, they immediately walk off into the moors. I don't know why <laughs> they're so stupid. Um. But as soon as they're out there, they hear howling in the distance. Um, I think this sequence is really cool, where they're um, running through the moors, uh, evading. Some, they don't know it's a werewolf yet, but something howling at them. Because the camera is always like on their faces. It's never behind them, like you would expect in a horror sequence, right? Um, instead, you, you get to watch it all like... Not quite from their point of view, but from like the point of view of them experiencing it, um, which is pretty cool and pretty disorienting. Uh, uh, especially since I think later in the movie, the only other POV shots you get are from werewolf POV. So I guess maybe it's saying that the werewolf is there all along, uh, just watching them. Um, but it goes bad. The the werewolf jumps out and gets Jack, and David runs away. Um, but after uh, after he gets his wits back about him again, uh, David turns around and goes to save Jack, and the werewolf attacks him, uh, only to get shot by the villagers um, who had uh, been wrestling with whether they should go out and save um, save the, the Americans or not. And they, I guess they had decided to, and they shoot the werewolf. And just before David passes out. Um, you see that the werewolf has turned into a naked man who's bleeding out and dead.
what do you guys think of the uh, the villager like mythology? I guess we get more of it later on, but like them them wrestling with what we should do something makes it pretty clear that this werewolf is a part of their community, and they just sort of let him go wild on full moon nights. It it seems is that your interpretation? I don't know. Maybe this is an area where there could have been a little more. Like I'm I'm not sure what the mythology is there other than that it's this secret that they've been keeping like it's not really specified how long it is or i guess they say that it's kind of a thing that's been passed down this yeah it's a bloodline blood idea but at the same time like i could have used a little more <laughs> and it's also weird because the movie moves away from the small town in England to London. And so they're not as much of a presence in the rest of the movie. Mm. Though it is kind of, I mean, it's a lot more satisfying to see how a werewolf would, would deal with a big city rather than in a small town. Yeah. I mean, it's the title. Yeah. We don't want babe. We want babe pig in the city. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Do people think that's the better of the two babe movies now? I don't. I don't think so. I think no. people prefer the first Babe. <laughs> the first Babe was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, but the second Babe is the best picture of all time. <laughs> That's true. You can't argue with that. So David wakes up. It's been three weeks. Uh, he's in a hospital. Um, the the doctor there, Doctor Hirsch, played by John Woodvine, um, tells him that his that uh that that jack has died and um that his wounds were cleaned before he was transferred to this london hospital um which is a little suspicious and that's a that's a thread that dr hirsch will pick at later um but this is also when he gets to meet frank oz who tells him that uh, the police want to interview him and also mr kessler yeah. yeah it's really weird uh, and, and also, this is when he meets Nurse Alex, uh, who is uh, just a nice lady who's taking care of the kids, trying to help him out. She feeds him a meal. Um, and it's all a honey trap. She is trying to lure him back to her apartment uh, so that they can bang. <laughs> That's her game. That's her game. Uh, but before they can go back to her apartment and bang... Uh, David is visited by Jack's ghost. Yeah. What else would you call it? Ghoul? <laughs> ghost. Ghoul's more like a zombie. <laughs> okay. Well, he kind of looks like a zombie. He looks like a zombie, but he's a ghost. Right? He's in limbo. Yeah, he explains... Ghouls exist within our mortal plane. <laughs> well, but that's... He's, he's saying that because he died an unnatural death, uh, he's been cursed to walk the earth until the werewolf bloodline is ended, and that it's not ended because even though the werewolf that attacked him has been killed, David has become a werewolf, and that if he doesn't kill himself, uh, not only will uh, Jack and the others be forced to stay in limbo for eternity um he'll transform into a werewolf and kill people 
therefore uh, perpetuating the curse. Um, uh, David doesn't like to hear that. Uh, and uh, and he, he sort of... Uh, he, no, he calls for help. He calls for Nurse Alex, uh, who comes and 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 they kiss and have a nice chat. It's only later that he tells Jack to fuck off. Uh, but this, I think, is also one of the, the best makeup scenes in the movie. The way that um, that Jack is just ripped to pieces is really gnarly in this scene. <laughs> uh, his throat is so gross. It's amazing. I love this concept, too, of it really gives the movie a sense of momentum that it otherwise I don't know where it would find that momentum um, in that like he has this pressure to kill himself because he's being haunted by the people that he's killed. And it's so interesting when you think about that story where uh, like John Landis was this was his inspiration to write this movie was his uh, his fear of death and, and watching those uh, like in Yugoslavia, those, those gypsies uh, burying the body. Like it's it's interesting that it seemed like he started with the this limbo dead body part first and then wove a werewolf story into it. Mm-hmm. I, I you know I bet the reason that, that happened is that in the original Wolfman the werewolves are gypsies and he saw gypsies in Yugoslavia so he just put two and two together I guess gypsies are werewolves so let's make a werewolf uh, movie that also talks about like the living dead. It's just a really interesting pairing that you, you don't really like. You have, I can't think of any other werewolf movies that have weird stuff like that in them. <laughs> yeah. They also have like ghosts and all those dream sequences are so weird. <laughs> I like them though. Yeah, but they're very yeah. unusual. Doing the the Evil Dead POV zooming across the ground thing. And there's the one where he's just like in the hospital bed out in the woods, and then the camera gets oh, yeah. close on his face, and he's like, Arr! he does like a thriller <laughs> monster face. <laughs> That's fun. It makes like a lion noise. It might smash cut to a lion. There's a lot of smash cuts in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's a big fan of that. Mm-hmm. And then the best dream sequence, though, is when like the weird mutant monster army guys like kill his family. Like, why is that in here? <laughs> okay, so we're going to get into that. Okay. So I think... Uh, well, I was I was talking a little bit about like this this movie is obsessed with with otherness, and and I think part of that is tied to uh, to Jewish identity, and so we do get little touches like the nurse says, you know, I think he's Jewish, because she's she's implicitly looked at what his penis looks like, um, but also the scene with the pentagram where they're a little freaked out, um, and and. And then I and then you see David's nightmare, right? Where they're they're monsters, but they're also they're not they're they're Nazi monsters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're all wearing mm-hmm. Nazi uniforms. Um, and I I think with when you're making a werewolf movie, you you've got this built-in theme of the of a of a secret identity, um, which I I think most of the time, at least in most of the werewolf things I've seen, they 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 tap into it as like a um like an inner rage or like a, a desire to be wild you know you're the, you <laughs> sort of like the nutty professor where you have like a, a nice normal guy but then he also has this uh, you know 100 percent id alter ego um in this case it's just like a violent monster um 
But I like here that it's more, if people know about my secret, I'm in danger and I've got to keep it to myself. And people are dismissing who I am uh, and, and forcing me to blend in. I don't know. Do you guys not? Do you guys? Am I just? Am I out in the weeds on this? Am I just making shit up? No, no, no. This is all good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like you're onto something. There's a lot to tap into in this movie. I noticed on that Blu-ray we watched from Arrow Video that just came out last year. Uh, Shop yes. Arrow today, to everyone. <laughs> uh, it has like 20 documentaries on it, and they're all about different stuff. And there was one that looked like it was about had an um an angle on the jewish identity part of this movie and uh all the other things so i think there's a it's a rich tapestry here you can pull lots of uh ideas and concepts out of here yeah uh so david and alex uh they start banging and uh and she leaves the next morning to um to go to work and he has the 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 montage of being bored (laughs) that john was talking about earlier um and then uh, when the full moon rises, he turns into a werewolf. And I love that at the very start of the sequence, he's just like, I think he's reading a, uh, what's it, the Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's <laughs> Court. You know, another like similar title, similar fish out of water story. Uh, but I love the like the suddenness of like, he's normal, he's reading a book, and then he's just like screaming <laughs> in pain. It's just, it happens in an instant. And then that slow cover of Blue Moon, I think it's Sam Cooke. Uh, playing over that it makes this scene so unsettling as he transforms to have this kind of like slow, nice doo-wop song playing. I actually saw, um, cause I read Elmer Bernstein, uh, did the score to this movie. Not that he did that much. Cause there's a lot of like, you know, famous pop songs in this movie, but he did some good music mm-hmm. in here. He did compose music for this transformation scene. And you can listen to that track on YouTube. And I've I found a couple channels where people tried pairing it with it. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was just, like, typical dramatic string swell. Uh, It was fine. It was – the scene would still be a classic, but I feel like that choice of Blue Moon just makes it so much more unsettling. It's so slow and just, ugh. It's great. It's – yeah. I mean, this this is the sequence that the movie is known for. I'm guessing lots of people who haven't even seen the movie have seen this transformation sequence – um, and it, it's it's just a nightmare. It seems so incredibly painful. There is nothing fun at all about um, this transformation. But I have also seen uh, online, I think it was a Rolling Stone article, where they talked about how it's also, sh- like, it's presented in the way that you would make this scene funny. Like, it, like if this was a comedy. Um, which... <laughs> That's it's not something I personally agree with, but I wanted to ask you guys if you felt that at all. If there was a like a dark comedy to this transformation sequence. I mean, absolutely. It cuts. There's that very deliberate cutaway to Mickey Mouse. <laughs> I think it wants to you to see like this is kind of fucked up, right? But don't you kind of enjoy in this? <laughs> I, I would say also what stands out to me is the transition of his screams into the wolf howl, Ooh. and how you then hear how the wolf howl also sounds just like a man screaming in pain. Yeah. For the rest of the movie, it's uh, it's really cool. <laughs> so it's very cool. 
the the werewolf David goes out into London and um, goes on a murder spree. He kills um, a couple outside of a, a, a neighbor's house, um, and then three homeless men, uh, and then there's a long sequence where he hunts down and kills uh, a guy who's just trying to take the tube home, um, which is the scariest one because he's he's so close to getting away so many times but he's like falling down and getting on escalators it's got the great pov stuff and him running through the tunnels all alone my favorite part though is yeah is when he collapses on the escalator and you get that cool like a bird's eye view of the the wolf starting to like kind of peek out as he's like going up on the escalator that's so great i love how they shoot um the the werewolf um you know they don't really get a good look at it till near the end of the movie which i appreciate yeah, but it's not like Jaws where it's just like they, like they were like we can't show you too much because it sucks. Like uh, the, the werewolf looks great, and they, I feel like they just show it enough. It's um, like they they they'll, they'll show it running, they'll show it doing things. They 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 it's it's not there's not an attempt to hide the werewolf at all. Like they believe in the werewolf, they're just also respecting that the more mysterious it is, the scarier it is too. Yeah, definitely. It's scary. I guess I can touch on this now. I think this is the greatest horror comedy ever made. And I think the reason that is is because, like, there's good horror comedies. Like, Evil Dead 2, great horror comedy. Shaun of the Dead, love it. But what makes American Wolf in London so good is it plays most of this horror stuff pretty straight. Like, it's pretty straightforward horror where it plays the, the stuff that's not werewolf stuff pretty silly and light. Like, it finds that balance where it can be silly and fun, but it can also be very disturbing. I can, I can think of very few movies that pull off that balancing act so well. That's what so. I was going to say, too, about the, the horror comedy aspect of it, is it feels like a, a movie that is like tr- literally trying to be like 50% comedy, 50% horror, <laughs> uh, in a way that may, like maybe Get Out a little bit has that Sure, kind of yeah, that movie's pretty funny, like... Those uh the the dinner party or like the or the garden party sequence like that's pretty funny it's awkward but it's funny but then like the scary stuff in there like the sunken place is a very very scary concept so I think that's another really great example. But but yeah when you look up horror comedies on Wikipedia or whatever you see stuff like Young Frankenstein and you, and you mentioned Shaun of the Dead <laughs> movies that I don't think are like Young Frankenstein especially that's not a scary movie I would, <laughs> it's horror trope. <laughs> sure. Do you ever all the Simpsons when Homer met Mel Brooks like. Oh, I love your movie, Young Frankenstein. Scared the hell out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Some people must be scared of it. But yeah, like most of them are just silly movies that just happen to have horror elements in them. They don't really go for scares. Uh, Anyway, David uh, awakens the next morning and he's he's in the wolf enclosure at the London Zoo. Um, So I like the implication there that the wolf's like, this guy's the new alpha of the pack. He's great. Um and uh, and and speaking of the comedy stuff, this is this the sequence where he has to steal balloons from a child and and make his way back to to Alex's house uh, after having woken up naked. Some great naked acting from uh, David Naughton as well. <laughs> He's just like running around like totally naked. You get to see a little bit of his Peter Stump here and there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah i do um 
David goes, uh, he makes it home to, to Alex, and um, and she convinces him to go see Dr. Hirsch, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, but as they get in the cab, the cab driver's like, do you guys believe about those, those, those murders that happened last night? It's like we have a new Jack the Ripper. Um, which Im- immediately causes David to realize um, that Jack was telling the truth and that, uh, that he's turned into a werewolf and killed people. Um, so that leads David to go to Trafalgar Square and try to get himself arrested, uh, which doesn't work at all. Another British police officer who's like, what's all this? And pops up. Classic. But he won't arrest him. Um, and then he, uh, he calls home. Uh, and you'll notice that his siblings are uh, Max and Rachel, which are the name of John Landis's kids. So a little, little personal touch from the director and writer there. Well, Max Landis reference that we all wanted. Everybody loves that guy. Everybody Do you know he that. was gonna remake this movie until he got canceled? How bad? Was that <laughs> Who did he even? And, and like, no way he's gonna get. If he's directing it, he's not gonna get anyone good in it. It's gonna start like Dax Shepard. No offense to Dax Shepard. Like he's not gonna get a listers in this. Yeah. Not that David Naughton's an a lister, but you know he's. He was at the time. He was huge. He was. He yeah. was Mr. Yeah, Doctor Pepper. He was Doctor Pepper. He had like a top twenty hit single with making it. Yeah. It's a man of many talents. <laughs> he seems like a nice guy. So David tries to kill himself with his pocket knife, but he uh, he can't work up the courage, and so he goes to a Piccadilly Circus where he sees. Jack, uh, who like waves him into a porno theater, and um, he goes in there and he meets Jack again, who is um, like fully like a puppet or something at this point. He's so decayed. Um, and and Jack also introduces um, David to the other. Uh, victims the the people that that david himself has killed um and and like again this is like a it's equal parts scary and and funny like these people who have all been gruesomely killed who clearly hate david for having killed them are like start giving him suggestions for ways to kill himself in sort of an upbeat way um which is which is great um, that porn movie is so good. <laughs> See you next Wednesday. That's like a recurring gag in John Landis movies for some reason. Like there's a billboard that says "See you next Wednesday" in the Blues Brothers, but it has like a gorilla on it. But yeah, just like, and it's, it's funny because like a porn film, like they like shot this scene just to play in the theater in this scene in American Wealth in London, of like um, topless woman and a man making love, and then a guy coming in. Being like, what are you doing with him? I've never seen you before in my life. Oh, sorry. <laughs> then he just leaves. He just leaves. It's great. Give me more of that movie. That's what I imagine all British porn is like. <laughs> A lot of apologizing. Yeah. Uh, but it sounds like they were uh, they were too late. Um, 
or maybe it's just being in the darkness of the theater. I don't know why. Uh, uh, David starts to transform again. Elsa knows there's like a guy <laughs> like standing right next to David as he transforms. And he just likes to watch or something. Because <laughs> David's like, get out of here. And he's just like clearly going through something. And the guy's just standing there watching. What's up with that? I guy? mean, this is a porn theater, man. <laughs> they likes to see fucked up stuff. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> um, and uh, so this is the big chaotic sequence where the American werewolf is once again let loose uh, on London. This time, he's you know he's in Piccadilly Circus. He's killing cops. He's tearing down walls. He's beheading the inspector from earlier in the movie, who I forgot to talk about at all. <laughs> he doesn't really do much. Yeah, really, the doctor um, does way more. Yeah, the doctor had gone to uh, to the village to try to find out what was going on, and they basically gave the same warning: like, "Oh, he's going to kill. He's going to turn into a world." They don't fill in any of the details. I, you know, that's probably for the best. What do they say about horror movies? You just need to know the rules. You don't need to know the why. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Uh, so yeah, there's like this is a pretty crazy sequence. It, apparently, it was shot for real at Piccadilly Circus. Um, so they were crashing bushes and stuff, I, which I guess is probably is because of Blues Brothers, right? He had proved that he crashed a lot of cars and make it work. I think that was the story. Yeah, he'd like shown the authorities that like what he could do, <laughs> and then also like invited a bunch of police to like a screening of American Ralph in London, like in the future or something. So they're like, okay, you can do it. And they let him film between like one and four a.m. in Piccadilly Circus. It's pretty That's crazy. Cool. Yeah. Uh, you could also say that uh, more people are killed by people in this movie because of what happens here. <laughs> uh, There's so many deaths, I can't even remember them all. They're insane. A lot of people going through windshields of their cars. Yeah. Like crashing into other people. Or yeah, getting pinned between cars or getting driven on top of. But it, I don't know. <laughs> Again, I don't know like what the message is there, but it is violent. It's exciting. <laughs> and um, uh, David the werewolf is cornered in an alley and uh, uh, the, Dr. Hirsch and Alex have come and Alex runs in, uh, between uh, David and the police and she tries to calm him down. Uh, I think maybe at some point they got the idea that like love could be the cure to being a werewolf. I don't remember. Um, but uh, for for a brief moment it looks like David might stop and then he begins to lunge forward and the police shoot him a whole bunch. And uh, and then we see Alex cry and uh, and David's human naked dead body. And the movie ends like that. No fucking around. Cue the Marcel's blue moon. <laughs> Such a good song. Definitely got that on some Spotify playlists. Definitely on my werewolf playlist. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be there. What's on your werewolf playlist? You know, just moon songs, right? Okay. Moon River, Moon Shadow, The Killing Moon. But where? I guess Werewolf, werewolf, werewolf of London, London should probably be on there, huh? 
Also, that uh, that Kid Rock song that rips off Werewolves Blood did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that song called? That song's so fucking bad. It's like he took Sweet Home Alabama and Werewolves of London and then just wrote them into a new song. Ugh, it's the fucking worst ever. Okay, I'm getting way off topic here with that. I like That's okay. that. I, it's an abrupt ending, but that cutaway to the weird, like almost like a comedic cue, I feel like really just like leaves you with that weird feeling that I feel like a horror comedy should, where like you feel like sad or scared one minute and then you're kind of laughing in the next minute, but you still feel a little unsettled. Like, I don't know. I like it. It's weird, but I can't explain why I like it. I just like it. Hmm. Uh, a lot of filmmakers say that you need to like sit and watch the credits silently. Like that the credits are part of the movie too, part of the experience. And I think that's definitely the case here where if you were, if you just got up and left as soon as the credits started to roll or turn the movie off, as soon as the credits started, you would you would miss that, that decompressing moment that happens when you get to take in that weird song like John like John said it's like it's kind of funny but it's also kind of uh, a chance to come down from the intense emotion of violence and death and tragedy. Yeah. So I think. We hit most of my talking points. The one thing I had left was this movie is like obsessed with bodies. Um, <laughs> like we talked, we talked about. There's like a porno in this, so there's lots of naked people. You see posters and, and then actual footage of this porno movie. Um, David gets naked a lot. The other werewolf is naked. We see the the corpses uh, as ghosts of, of the victims, and they're. Uh, decaying, uh, so like a lot of emphasis on anatomy and body and mortality, I guess. Um, I I don't know. Is, is there? Do you guys? Did you pick up on some sort of message they're trying to communicate about the human condition or about bodies with all this imagery, or is it just a visual theme? It's just horny, man. Yeah. getting naked. Oh, it's, it's horny. <laughs> I mean, he's a young man. He's going abroad, you know? He's hooking up with a mysterious woman. Like That's true. That the movie funny. does start with them talking about the, the high school sweetheart of Jack that, that, uh, that he's got to go back to to finally sleep with because he hasn't slept with her yet. That's what, you know, you, you take these kind of... These kind of trips, you know, to Europe to find yourself, find your identity, and part of it is finding your sexual identity. But then, uh oh, also your werewolf identity on accident. <laughs> yeah. Bodies are weird, man. You never know how your body's gonna turn out. That's like a, that's like a David Cronenberg motto, right? <laughs> you never know. <laughs> um, I do have a quick. Sean's goose, but I don't want to cut off this uh, discussion if uh, if you guys had anything else you want to talk about. Um, you got a burning sensation, Colin? I just kind of wish there was more Griffin done in this movie. That's, that's my only <laughs> quibble with it. He shows up a, a bit, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. He's very good. He's really fun. And I feel like he's, he's a really bit good. more plugged in to like the quasi-comedic 
tone of the movie, maybe than David Nunn. But I, you know, I guess he he sells the horror more, and Griffin Dunn has more of a comedic energy, which is a nice pairing. I just I don't know. He dies so early. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I love the like like you're saying though. Like his his line deliveries are great. There's there's one time where he's talking about how terrible it is in limbo. He's like, I'm not having a great time yeah. here. <laughs> You ever try talking to a corpse? It's boring. <laughs> boring, David. It's very good. I kind of like David, David Naughton, though, just because he's kind of a dork. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps him a little bit. Kind of like in, he has like a Mark Hamill dorkiness to him that I appreciate. <laughs> but Griffin Dunn is definitely the more charismatic performer. and He's a lot of fun to watch, even under all that gore. Yeah. I just wish he was in more stuff in general. I know. Griffin Dunn. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, French Dispatch. He, apparently, he's one of the guys working in the in the newspaper office. Is what I read earlier. So, mm-hmm. see a little snippet of, snippet of him. Snippet of him. All right. Well, the Sean's goose this week uh, was. Um, I don't even know if it's a goof. I'm just going off a quick Google search. John noticed that there was a Wendy's poster sign advertisement in the tube Mm -hmm. in this movie and according to google wendy's it was only as of october 2019 opening their first restaurant (laughs) in london (laughs) so best case scenario that's an ad that they had to place there for american audiences worst case scenario that's a massive fuck up i mean yeah it's what i'm wondering just sounds like pure product placement to me what I'm wondering is, what do you think there that scene where he's, the 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 scared guy is running through that uh, tube? Is, do you think was that actually filmed in the tube, or they put up all those of their own posters, or do they have an entirely different set, and that's why they had all their posters mm. up? That's, that's what I yeah. was wondering. We saw I noticed, airplane, right? Which airplane, which could be a nod to the fact that he had directed Kentucky Fried Movie. Yeah, it must right. Was helping his buddies out. Yeah. I think there might have been a See You Next Wednesday ad somewhere in the tube as well. Unless they just decided, you know, for this shot, I want to put up, like, 50 posters. <laughs> I mean, it, it does add, you know, a lot to the scene. Like, it's, it, it looks nice for the, the, the shot, but mm-hmm. it's just interesting. I don't know. I don't know either. John, is there a villain's wiki for this week? <laughs> Okay, so there is one for the werewolf that um, attacks uh, David and Jack at the beginning, but it's really sparse. Uh And, you know, honestly, I think there's a true villain, or should I say villains in this movie? You guys know who I'm talking about? Who are the true villains in this movie? Cops. Uh, (laughs) I was going to say the guys at the slaughtered lamb. I'm going to do, I'm going to make one up right now. We're gonna do one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you guys the categories, and we're gonna plug in. Uh, we're gonna fill in these categories. So here's uh, John's Rogues Gallery. Okay. So it gets worse each week. <laughs> so we can't do full name because it's a group, but I'm gonna go with the Slaughtered Lamb, the attendants of the Slaughtered Lamb. I don't think they have mm-hmm. any aliases. Their origin is American. We're all from London. Occupation. I think they're all farmers. Most well, of them. One of them's a barkeep. Yeah. One of them's a barkeep. The lady's a barkeep. Um, 
yeah, but they're just like farmers or some shit. <laughs> yeah. uh, here's the fun part. Powers slash skills. Ooh, peer pressure. <laughs> Absolutely peer pressure. Darts. Uh, <laughs> darts. Definitely. One of the guys plays chess. I mean, this could go for the hobby section mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Though I don't know that he's particularly good because the British doctor comes in later and like he's like, oh, you know, bishop to queen, you know. And he's like, oh, what? Oh, yeah. So maybe he sucks. <laughs> but darts definitely because the guy says he's never missed that board until they distract until- him. Yeah, those are some serious skills. Uh, now they have this, you know, they have the star, and it looks like there's candles nearby, like places for them to burn candles. Do you mm. take that they're like doing rituals or like lighting those candles, or is that just there? Oh yeah, no, that's there. They're fully there. I bet there's lots of monsters in this town, not just a werewolf, mm. and they're they're so, plugged yeah. into all the shit that's going on. Maybe um maybe that's a hobby, the occult. <laughs> <laughs> and definitely one last power skill you got to have uh, firing a gun with uh, pretty pretty good accuracy. Yeah. So, Guns. Hob- uh, hobbies, uh drinking, chess, mm-hmm. darts. Darts. Oh, telling stories that make fun of or telling jokes that make fun of Americans. <laughs> uh-huh. I still remember that bit. I I kind of like that joke about all the, uh, the 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 guys from the UN on a plane and it's running out of gasoline. It's too heavy, and they each you know say a, a phrase uh, from their homeland. But the uh, the American from Texas says, "Remember the Alamo," and chucks out the Mexican. So uh, pretty good, pretty good jab at us. Oh, <laughs> man, yeah. Yanks, man. So uh, a plus joke. They're uh, also their... uh, they're all cinephiles because they <laughs> had gone to yeah. London to see "Remember the Alamo." That's true. That's true. Um, what about their? What are their goals? Ooh, protect the secret. Get drunk. The secret. <laughs> yeah, sort of a long term and a short term goal. <laughs> okay, and then what are their crimes? No food. <laughs> lying. Lying. The ultimate I'm going to say with uh, crime, yeah, lying and crime scene tampering, whatever you want to call that, where they oh, uh, yeah. basically made up a story, cleaned up the wounds, David's wounds, and made it seem like he was attacked by a man. So, yeah, but yeah. lying. I don't know if, like, you say lying is, like, a straight-up crime, but it's definitely... I mean, if they're lying the, to the police, which they did. True. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um. Yeah, and they're just dicks. I guess here I'm criticizing lying. I don't know if that's a crime, but they're they're dicks. That's definitely a crime. Hell yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then this is a a, a fun category. What type of villain would you say the, uh, the guys from the slaughtered lamb are? Hmm. Something mob. Yeah. Mysterious society. Mysterious society. I like that, but I feel like, there's a little something a little more lowbrow than that. Sinister mob. <laughs> Sinister mob. All right, I'm gonna go pump this into villains wiki later. Yeah, the actual one for werewolf was like super boring. It's just like occupation, predator, uh, great strength, sharp teeth, claws, goals, kill David and Jack. 
Oh, I should have wrote for. Uh, we should have come up for goals. Makes David and Jack's lives a living hell. Yeah. <laughs> that's always that's a popular entry in uh, in villains with. Just don't feel like it really applies because they're kind of trying to just avoid them for the rest of the movie. Yeah, they don't want to. That's not. The, it's not their goal to do that. Yeah. But they certainly don't seem to care. All right, there you go. The greatest villains of all. The uh, the guys that go to the slaughtered lamb. Mm-hmm. The uh, the the neighborhood watch in uh, Hot Fuzz. Do they have a villain wiki entry? Um, what are they called? Maybe if I search Hot Fuzz on Villains Wiki. If, if for people that don't know, Villains Wiki is like a weird uh, database where people just write in you know entries for random villains and from pop culture and. I Some think they're called weird. the NWA. <laughs> I think that's one of the jokes in the movie. They're like neighborhood watch something. Uh, yes, Sean, they do have an entry on Villains Wiki. Wow. What are they called? What What's their uh, their type of villain? Uh, elitist organization. Elitist organization. <laughs> Doesn't quite apply to Slaughtered Lamb Crew. No, I like what we came up with. Was it Sinister Mob? Yep. <laughs> there you go. Well, so I think that does wrap up our uh, conversation about Un-American Werewolf in London. That was my pick, which means, I think, it's Colin's turn to make the next pick. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> you sound so excited. Well, it was, I, I made kind of a last minute decision. <laughs> like, I, I was planning on maybe trying to pick a, a super Irish movie since next week is St. Patrick's Day, but because of the uh, <laughs> what's been going on in the world, I've decided the next episode we'll talk about Contagion. Oh, God. You're just trying <laughs> to go scare again. me, Colin. <laughs> You're just trying to give me nightmares. I'm trying not to think about this. <laughs> But I've never seen it, and I would like to see it. Yeah. Oh. Me and Sean have seen it. We watched it together. I was going to hella spoil it a second ago, so I'm glad you said yeah. you haven't seen it. I know a lot of the characters die in it, but I don't know the specifics. Yeah. All right. Well, it'll definitely make you more proactive about washing your hands. Let me change my life, because I wash my hands so much. I'm already getting, I'm getting nervous <laughs> just thinking about it. <laughs> Well, that'll be a lot of fun next week, uh, assuming we're all still alive. Uh, but if you want to have some more fun right now, may I direct you over to mildlypleased.com where you can see the stuff we've been writing about lately. Like, Colin did a review of that Destroyer album that I didn't make my little pick. Yeah, I just. You can go check that out. I just out. swooped in there. <laughs> Um, and also you can, you can go, we got a backlog of dozens of podcasts and you can find those by searching mildly pleased on, um, iTunes or overcast or whatever podcasting app you use. Um, so until next week, um, stay healthy and we'll speak to you under the next full moon. Moon, blue moon, dip, 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 moon, 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 dip, 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 d
Bomb, 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 bomb